Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to episode number 124 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Getting Your Book Into Libraries with special guests Rhonda Kuyper and Christy Floyd. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are joined by Rhonda Kuyper and Christy Floyd. Rhonda is a part-time reference librarian who has also worked in the library at Round Rock High School in Austin, Texas, for the past five years. Rhonda is currently in charge of the tween and teen programming at West Bank, and next month she will add reference manager to her bag of tricks. She brings significant school library experience to our author conversation tonight. Good evening, Rhonda. Good evening. Great. And we're also joined by Christy Floyd, a librarian at the West Bank Community Library District in Austin, Texas, for the past five years, including one year as a sub and four years as the programs and children's librarian. She coordinates and organizes all of their programming, as well as selecting juvenile material for their collection, from picture books to items for teens. Uh, good evening, Christy. Hi, Victor. How are you? Doing great. Well, this is a real pleasure for me to be talking to you because you're just down the street from where I am, and uh, we also donate a lot of books to the library. But as I know that our listeners are a lot of authors, some, of course, are publishers, but many are are authors and many are self-published authors. So there's always this burning desire by authors is to get their book into the library, and I think I'm going to just hit you with that first question first because to get it out of the way, and then we can talk about the rest of the stuff. How do we get our book as an author and a self-published author into a library? Is that question for Rhonda or for me? Whichever wants to answer it. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. Um, well, as a programs librarian, I really appreciate when local authors will come to the library and let me know that they have a, a book. And usually local authors um, will donate a book to, the, to our collection, which is great. And I'm, I'm really happy to have them come in and do a, a story time with their book. Uh, I will say that generally as a library policy, we don't buy self-published books, but we're certainly willing to have them donated to the collection. And so when you're talking about a collection, does that mean that it's a collection, is that part of what goes up on the shelves in the library? That's correct. When I say collection, I refer to all the, the books, audiobooks, CDs, DVDs that we have in our collection. And do you, as the program's librarian or whomever is in charge of the library, take all books that are donated by local authors? Uh, we do, especially if they're local authors. Um, I'm in charge of our children's collection, so I, I actually do the selecting of those materials. Uh, but we do like to have a good representation of local authors here. And uh, so we definitely love to have them in the collection, and, and we can build them as such. Uh, it's just a great community. Uh, it's a great way to involve writers in our community 
with our library community. And I have to agree, and I know that uh, the library, the West Bank Library, is definitely one that is very supportive of the local people. Now, from my understanding, all libraries do not operate the same. They're not equal. From some of the authors that I have spoken to, their local libraries are not that cooperative as you are. So I'm wondering what the difference is. Do you mean in terms of accepting their their book or in yes. terms of... accepting a local author's book. Hmm. You know, I really can't speak about other libraries. Rhonda may have some ideas because I know she also has subbed in other libraries across the central Texas area. Um, we think, I mean, we see ourselves as the heart of the community, and if there are authors here that are publishing books, we'd love to have them in our collection. Now, I will say... Yes, we are willing to accept them, and we hope that they circulate, but once a book is on the shelf, we don't hold on to it if it's not circulating, um, even if it is a local author. And Because we do have a, a policy guidelines for our circulation, and usually if a book is not circulated in three years, if it's a fiction book, it's not going to circulate. And so then the shelf life then you're saying is three years. That's actually a long time. Well, it is, and... Um, but at the same time, we want to be sure that we give books give books a chance. I think if for our library, that works. Uh, but we definitely are a library that tries to stay current and focused on our collection. And so, uh, but we also, you know, we do have room for books on our shelves. But we also, we weed heavily and we, we buy at the same time. We actually weed as many books as we buy mm-hmm. each year. You mentioned uh, circulation three years. What does circulation really mean? Uh, does the book have to go out uh, 50 times during that three years or three times? or What's the policy? Um, it depends on the area of the, the library. Um, picture books definitely circulate about 15 times a year. Juvenile books, and I'm, by that I mean chapter books for kids, they will circulate maybe eight to ten times a year. And so what I do when I'm weeding a book or weeding the collection, I will look at the average uh, for that year and kind of judge by that. And but and that's why I also look at three years' worth of statistics because sometimes a book will circulate this year really well, but it won't have circulated last year because people may not have discovered it yet. Sometimes a book won't circulate if it's the first in a series. Like people may discover a book when they're, they see the second book and then they'll want to read the first book first. And so there are lots of different kinds of things to think about when I'm looking at whether I want to keep a book on the shelf. So even though I do look at my numbers, I'm also looking at the big, bigger picture of, you know, who the author is, the subject matter, you know, um, all, all those kinds of things. Great. Uh, this question goes, uh, I guess, to both of you. You can answer for the teens and then the tweens. Uh, what are your top three sources for finding new books? I'm going to let Rhonda start on that one. Um, I think for my experience in the uh, high school library is a lot um, book reviews are a big uh, you know um, magazines like um, Booklist, Hornbook, um, School Library Journal, those kinds of places are going to be a one source. Um, we at the high school have a, a form that the kids can fill out. If they've seen a book that they want, they can request it that way. Um, and I guess the 
the third area, I guess, would be um, with, with the particular school system that we're in, we have an arrangement with a publisher where they will give the librarians uh, early release and pre-release uh, books to review, and then those books will end up in the collection also. Great. That sounds like you've got a pretty uh, diverse source of input. Now, tell us a little bit about how the uh, the buying process works for a district. Is there a manager who essentially buys for all the branches that makes the decisions, or how is that distributed? Maybe you can answer for school districts and, and conventional library districts. For me, for West Bank Library District, we're essentially two libraries, and we actually bill ourselves as, um, two locations, one library. So I do all the selecting of the children's materials. I can't really speak to how something like Austin Public would work if they have one source that buys for all of their branch libraries. I'm not sure how that works. Now, Rhonda probably can talk about the school. Yeah. For the, for the school situation, it's um, the librarians in each of the individual schools have uh, complete control over their collection development. Um, so we have five high schools right now in the Round Rock system, and each of those high schools, the librarians within the high school will select for them, and they get to, you know, they get to pick what they want based on, you know, the curriculum that the school is doing and the interest, you know, the interest areas that they see the kids reading books in and that kind of thing. So, um yeah, the, the individual librarians have control over that. You know, Victor, I didn't. Um, I'm happy to kind of comment on the way I select books for um, our library. And I, I say I, and I, I certainly don't mean to say that it is only I that does it, even though I do most of the selecting. I definitely depend on our, our community, uh, which is essentially the Eames School District. They are a really well-read community, and I definitely appreciate uh, library users who give me their input. In fact, we have a system set up where libraries can request books or videos, etc., through um, through a system with, just by logging in with their library card. I definitely look at book lists and other review sources, uh, as well as, um, you know, websites, that kind of thing. So, uh, but it's definitely... I'm definitely happy to have input from other librarians as well because it's impossible for any one person to read everything. Right. The volume of, of material produced is just too high with uh, 500,000 <laughs> titles being expected for this year alone. <laughs> That's true. Uh, now, the conventional wisdom is that uh, libraries don't want anything to do with workbooks. Is that still true? Um, yeah. Well, if, if by workbook you mean things that the patrons actually write in, um, those kinds of things, generally we don't – I know that the high school doesn't have anything like that on the shelf. And sure. I don't, I don't think West Bank does any. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I'm going to go back to uh, talk a little bit about authors, self-published authors, and not specifically uh, local authors. So – and I know that you can only speak for the West Bank and the Laura's Library. So do you actually look at materials that come in or advanced review copies from, from 
no, you know, unknown authors or from self-published authors. I generally don't get that much material from self-published authors. Um, I do. I look at every children's donation that comes into our <laughs> library to see if I want to add it to the collection. Um, and then I definitely read as much as I can of the new books that come in. But, again, it is impossible to read everything that comes in. But I definitely read reviews <laughs> on books that are about to be published. And I try to read um, a review from two sources if I can. That doesn't always happen. Uh, but sometimes, you know, and I order books based on if, if we have an, if it's an, from an author that circulates uh, or an illustrator. Uh, you know, do we need this kind of book in our collection? Is there a hole? That kind of thing. Also, I also do all the story times here. So I read, when I read a review or I see a title of a book, especially if it's a picture book, I'm also thinking in terms of, well, I've got this theme coming up for story time. This sounds like a great book uh, that I could read. Uh, for specific story time or theme. Uh, does that help answer your question? Yes, it sure does. And so that then brings me to another question, and this is about reviews. We're a book review service, and this is, of course, what we provide. And I, it's great to hear that actually you do look at two sources, that you don't only look at one source and one review. So that's encouraging also because that's giving you two different opinions. And I know that some of the libraries that we are in communication with also look on sites like Amazon.com for book reviews and make a decision from the general readership rather than somebody like uh, Booklist or Library Journal where it's a different viewpoint. From Oh, I agree. And so, I, I, you know, I'd like you to talk about that. You do agree. So I'm wondering, you know, if you can just expand that a little bit for us. Well, I, I do think, I, well, I personally, I like to see what people's opinions of books are because I think it's valuable. But at the end of the day, I don't, sometimes I just choose a book based on a gut feeling whether there's two bad reviews or one bad review and one good review. But I, I think it's really interesting to see what, We'll see how books speak to people in their reviews, and that's what I like to read, or one of the things I like to read. <laughs> when you look at these reviews, Christy, I'm wondering what it is that you're actually looking at. Well, I, I guess, hmm, um, well, it depends on the type of book it is. Like for picture books, one of the things I like to see is I like to know if it's a rhyming book. I like to know um Let's see. You know, I like to know if the cadence is well. I like to know if the description, if it's going to be a little bit scary. Does it kind of drag in the middle? Um, does this, does this, is it lighthearted? You know, is this good for a read out loud? Is it better for one-on-one? I mean, those are the kind of things that I look for when, when I see a review. But that, that doesn't, I mean, not every reviewer writes that kind of thing. Right. Of course. Uh, but, I, you know, I also like to see, some insight in, into the heart, just for lack of a better phrase, like, you know, how did it touch that reviewer? Uh, or, and I also like to say, you know, this is a good, excuse me, I like to see, um, you know, this book is good for people who have read, you know, The Hunger Games. Uh, so that kind of thing is helpful for me as well. So, Christy, I, uh, speaking still of reviews, we have, uh, as I said, uh, we're a book review service, but we also 
what we have been doing is having the kids review children's books. We do not have adults review them anymore because we just found that there was totally different perspectives. Now, the little ones, our youngest one is four years old. He started at two, now he's four. Of course, the mom helps. But what we do ask is for the, the parent to capture what the child has said, what the reactions are, what you know, what the feelings were. And we find that a lot of our authors and publishers are really, really liking that aspect because sometimes our kids are the first children actually to have read that book. Oh, well, that's a great idea. I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I wouldn't have thought to, brought, to bring it up, but I have actually talked to kids who have – they're writing blogs on some of these books, and I have a couple of readers um, who I always think about, and when I want a book read in our collection that I know I don't have time to read – you know, and so I'll ask them to read the book for me, and they'll write up a little paragraph for me, and they'll even give me age recommendations. And that's great because you're right. I think that's one of the things that I sometimes feel like is hard for me is that I, you know, being a parent, I'm I feel like I'm reading a book sometimes as a parent, mm-hmm. and I really would like to to be able to take myself back to being 12 and read, you know, Hunger Games for the first time as a 12 year old and. But I can't do that anymore because I'm a parent. And so I think it's great that you're getting kids who are teens and younger to review books for you. What a great idea. Well, it is. And as I say, that it's so well accepted. And the thing is that I find that the kids are being really honest. And sometimes that, you know, when we score and we put them on Amazon and so on, and they love the book, they love the book, and they'll end up giving them like a three out of five. <laughs> the kids are really hard. And they tell it the way it is. I mean, if there are editing issues, if there's an issue with a plot or something, they have no problem telling the way it really is. But that's great. I, I would I would assume that authors want to hear that. I, I, am I mistaken, do you think? Well, most authors do. Sometimes oh. we do get authors that get upset because uh, a lot of times we find that some of them are on a mission to... Oh, and you know what I'm talking about. They're on a mission to teach something, and the kids don't want to be taught that way. So, now, I, under, I, I can understand that because I would imagine I'm, I haven't written a book myself, but I would imagine, I, I mean, as a reader, I get emotionally attached to books. So as a writer, I am sure that experience is, is exponential. Great. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the physical books themselves. Um, how important is it to have a hardcover binding, and uh, how do you, if you have the choice, do you always choose hardcover? Hardcover bindings are very helpful in a library situation, especially in school libraries, just because of the amount of wear and tear that the books get. Um, we do have some uh, paperback books in the library. Those we'll cover with like a... Um, you know, a special laminated covering just to help them, the, the longevity of the book. Because you invest in these books as a library, you want them to last for for a while. So the hardcover is really um, preferable, I guess. I, I think I would concur with that in most cases. I definitely agree with that for young adult books and for picture books. I think, though, for a lot of juvenile uh, chapter books that are series, 
like for for my purposes as a selector of children's books, I sort of prefer to order the paperbacks if it's a series, especially if there's 30 of them or more, because they're they're inexpensive, and but they still last pretty well, and it's a, it's a pretty inexpensive replace if I need to do that. Great, thanks for that. That makes uh, complete sense. Now, as a publisher, one of the hard decisions I have to make is which wholesaler to use. So I'm curious to find out when you guys decide to actually place the order, I mean, does it go through a corporate card to Amazon or do you have two or three preferred wholesalers that you buy from or how does that final purchase take place? I think the majority of our purchases, at least for kids, is through Ingram. Uh, We also use Baker & Taylor. We do use Amazon as well, uh, but I'm not sure who um, we use for DVDs and um, media like that. The the school system has a couple um, vendors that they use, and they pretty much stay with those vendors. There's the occasional... um, Amazon purchases, that kind of thing. But most of the stuff comes through, um, I would say, Mackin and Tidal Wave and things like that. Great. Uh, the other thing that uh, I'm always battling is is how to keep uh, costs down uh, without, you know, printing 10,000 copies in China. So do you guys have specific guidelines for, say, you know, the color picture books as to how much you're willing to pay for a picture book of such and such a length, or how does that enter the buying equation? Um, well, I think the, pretty much a standard picture book is sixteen ninety nine, seventeen ninety nine. Um, so, and I guess if you're buying library binding, it's what twenty two or twenty three. Um, I I don't like to pay over eighteen dollars for a children's book, a children's picture book, uh, for juvenile chapter books for the series, I try to buy the paperback, but I think that usually hardbacks are running around $16. Uh, Young adults are probably around the same, maybe up to $18. Uh, But nonfiction is definitely more expensive than that. So, you know, usually those can start at $19 and, you know, be up to $32. And then some are even more than that. So that's pretty much my guideline. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about nonfiction. What do you look for in a in a nonfiction book in terms of uh, production quality? I've you know been told that uh, indexes and bibliographies are a big must-have for librarians. I'd like to find out how you guys judge nonfiction. Um, I think both of us will probably answer that one. I'll start. I I agree that an index. <laughs> Table of contents and bibliography is important. I, I, I personally like to index the best. Um, I think that is important. I also think that's actually a good way to teach kids about nonfiction books and the difference between fiction and nonfiction because if they're looking at a book that is not just on their specific animal, uh, if they need to use one on mammals, uh, they can then learn that there is an index in the back and how to look it up. And that's that's a skill people need to know how to do. Rhonda? Yeah, I I agree that those kinds of resources or whatever in, in the nonfiction books are really important, especially, you know, in the school setting, they're, the kids are writing reports or doing a project or something like that, and they're looking for information on a specific topic. And 
I know a number of times where, you know, the kids will pick something maybe a little bit more obscure for a topic that is covered in some of the books that we have, but it's not a big enough, if you will, topic that we're going to have an entire book on it. So um, being able to have those indexes and um, a bibliography list, you know, especially in the high school, you know, we, we encourage them to, you know, are, are there other in, in the bibliography, are there other resources that you can get um, uh, access to that way? Um, those are really helpful for the kids, and I think those are really important um, studying skills to, to develop to be able to look through that stuff. So, yeah, I agree. They're, they're important. Great. Maybe you can uh, – oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask uh, the cataloging process. We work with the Library of Congress to get all of that – cataloging info done. How does the uh, cataloging work for your library systems? I know that um, we use at, at the high school, We, if the Library of Congress record is available, that is what we will use. As a selector of children's materials, I'm sort of out of the cataloging process except for saying this book needs to be in YA or this book is more appropriate for J. If I disagree with the the listing that is listed in the review, but as for the, how we do it, I'm not I'm not sure. I think a lot of ours is copy that we get copy cataloging, but I don't know if we get that from Library of Congress. If Ingram does it, or no, that's fine. I know some library systems have one librarian who has to be the cataloger, and they have this huge stack of books, and they're always trying to get them cataloged. <laughs> Well, we we do have a cataloging librarian, and but I, I do think we have a lot come in that's cataloged already, and I'm sh but I'm sure there's like some tweaks put in there to make it more appropriate for our local collection. Christy, when uh, we uh, talked earlier uh, weeks ago, and uh, you had mentioned that you get a lot of donations now, and you know we donate boxes of books that we just we can't review to your library, and I know we're not the only ones. Now, you had given me this atrocious amount of books that in a year you get donated. It's a true number. It's about around 100,000 a year. 100,000 a year. Now, obviously, these don't all go into your collection, so what actually <laughs> happens to them? You know, I, I have to applaud West Bank because we have a really good system for donations. What happens, well, I guess I should also applaud our volunteers as well, because we do have a used book room upstairs, and it is staffed by some very fine volunteers who keep us keep these books moving through our library. Uh, essentially, they they will look at the books to determine if it, if it's something that they think we should see. Now, I definitely, as the children's librarian and selector, I, I try to look at them as well at the same time. Uh, in fact, sometimes if I miss a box or two, I'll actually go peruse our used book room and check the shelves to see if I've missed anything that I might want. So they, but essentially the volunteers will um, go through the donations and they'll leave us our, our sorted books on, on our shelves for us to then look at and see if we'd like to add them, if we need them, if we want to replace them, replace same copies with books that are in the collection. Uh, so essentially, if I get a copy of a book that I already have, uh, I will check the condition of our book, uh, see if our book looks damaged, 
and then see if the donation is better, and then I'll um, replace it, which is great because that means I don't have to buy a new copy of the book, even though, and it's still circulating well, so I'd like to have a nice new copy on the shelf because we all know that uh, books that look good are more apt to be picked up. Once I go through this process of sorting through my donations, I then take them to the used book room, and they will uh, price them for selling or what we also do with certain books, and we have um, about, let me see if I can find my number, we have about 30 organizations, actually no, that's incorrect, we have about 18 regular organizations that come through on a weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, twice a year basis to um, uh, grab books out of our used book room. We also work with other libraries in parts of Austin, school libraries as well, uh, who will take our donations that we don't use, or they'll also take some of our weeded nonfiction materials as well. Uh, we, uh, so we have homeless shelters come in, we have other schools, we have assisted living centers. You, it runs the gambit of the organizations that come in and use, uh, get books out of our uh, So I know that you're just talking about the West Bank and Laura's library, but... I would imagine a lot of the other libraries have a similar system as well. Are you familiar with other systems, other libraries in the system is the same? Yeah, um, I, I personally know that the Georgetown Public Library has a used book room. It's run by the Friends of the Library there, and they do a very similar kind of thing where they um, donations come in and they're evaluated to you know, for addition to the collection, and if they're not added, they're put into the, um, the used book uh, store, and they are, you know, priced and sold there. And then if they don't move out of, they they have a real rigorous, you know, they only keep stuff on the shelves there for three months or something like that, and then um, if they're not sold in that time, then they're donated to different organizations. We have that as well, but I'm not sure how long our length of time is in the used book room. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I want to talk about is borrowing from other libraries. And how, if you don't have the book in your specific library, I know that you borrow it from others. But do you then look at this to see if you know how many times it's been borrowed and if actually you should keep it in your own circulation? Or your own collection? Sure. Um, I'm not sure how um, our librarian who does our adult selection um, determines that, but I think if a book has been requested three times and the kids, I, I'm more, I'd be apt to buy it. But I also think I, I think children's books are generally more inexpensive than adult books, and so if I have a book that's been requested uh, and I see that it's an accelerated reader. Um, is that what they're called um, on the AR list? Uh-huh. I, I might go ahead and buy it just because if it's on the AR list, it's more up that other kids are going to ask for it. So I, I would say for me personally, I usually buy versus interlibrary loan kids' books. It's, I only interlibrary loan kids' books that I can't buy uh-huh. or I know just won't circulate. So I know that a lot of libraries use worldcat.org. Do you? Yes, okay. And so what is the importance of having the book on that particular site? Well, uh, I think it is important because it's really nice 
from a librarian standpoint to know, oh, well, this book is in, you know, 300 libraries, so I definitely think that I can get it. So the lower, the lesser, the lower amount of libraries that have it, you know, you kind of question whether you can get it or not. Is that how the school works? Yeah, we... Um, do you do interlibrary loans? We, in Round Rock, we do... We call it interlibrary loan, but it's an inter-district loan, really. Um, like I mentioned before, we have five high schools, and we've got uh, ten middle schools, and I can't keep up with the number of elementaries. I think we're in the 40s now. Um, <laughs> and, and so the kids, we've got a, a union catalog, and the kids can see all the books that are in the other uh, schools within the district, and then we have a system within the district where they can loan books between the school systems, and we use that information. You know, uh, we we keep the kids fill out a form, and we keep those forms, and then that, you know, if if the kids have been requesting a certain book um, a number of times from from the other high schools, um, we'll notice that and at you know purchase it at that point so that we can get it in our collection. So we do, do use that information, but it's just on a much smaller scale within the district. Irene, can I ask Rhonda a question? Of course. <laughs> Rhonda, do, so it sounds like you only do intra-district intra loans. You don't do interlibrary loan at all outside your district. Right, right. We just the, we just um, transfer books within the, 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 the school district itself. We've got, you know... I think it's a district van that actually goes between the schools and delivers these. What's the turnaround time on that? Do you know? Two days. Wow, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really not, you know, two, you know, if, if, if the timing's really bad, it might be three days, but um, they it usually doesn't take too long to get them. And then do they have the same amount of um, borrowing time, yes. two weeks or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll get the book for three weeks, actually, okay. and then um, they just have to return it back to the school that, you know, that they are attending, and then we'll get it back to the other. Oh, wow. Thank you for indulging me, Irene. Of course. It's something that we want to know, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. Um, I've been told by some librarians that the book covers are actually a very important part of the equation because their patrons will simply not pick up a book that has an ugly cover. What what do you guys take on that? I'm going to speak from my experience at a high school. Um, the cover is very important. Um, you can have, in, and because the high school that I'm at is, is what the original uh, Round Rock High School, we've got books there, you know, we've got a history there. Um, <laughs> and you can have the same book with you know the the cover from the 80s and a cover from the 2000s and the one with the 2000 cover will circulate more than the one with the 80s cover on it they they look at um the and and I was talking to one of the other librarians just the other day and she had read recently and we have seen this um played out in our high school too is if there's photographs of people versus, uh, I'll call it sketches or um, drawings of people, the kids will pick the one with the photograph of the actual person um, on the cover versus the one that's got the uh, drawing on it. And we've seen that played out. We've seen that, you know, we've got a 
uh, incidental, you know, in, uh, examples of that kind of thing where, you know, kids will, they just seem to be more attracted to covers that have people on them. Can I comment on that? Because I think that's so interesting because for me as a reader, I would prefer not to have a book with a photograph on it. And so I really don't understand today what the difference of why kids, kids today, my daughter's 12, I'm sure she'd be in the same boat as what you're explaining. I, I don't want a book that's got a photograph on it that I would be more apt to pick a sketch, and I don't know if that's my age or not. <laughs> um, I think I think that also holds true in a public library, but I, I think it, I think judging a book by its cover can be detrimental. I was speaking with um, a mom yesterday. She was picking some of the Lone Star books. Do you know what the, you know what those are? No, no, I don't. Um, Rhonda could probably give a better explanation, but essentially, Lone Star books are it's a list of books that are award winners, and they're picked for sixth sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. And the Eames School District, at least, is definitely reading these. Uh, so we always keep them separated out. And, and just incidentally, for the younger kids, there's the Blue Bonnet list, and those books are for third fourth and fifth graders. So anyway, these books need to be read each year, and I had a mom looking at them, and we were discussing one, and actually we ended up, it was actually a blue bonnet we ended up discussing, but one of the books had a picture on it, and she's like, oh, that just looks like it's just a very light-hearted book, and it, you know, and that no boy would be interested in reading it, and I said, well, that's funny, because that that book to me was my favorite book of the blue bonnets, because it was a very poignant story about a, a little girl whose brother had died. And so it was her learning how to accept her brother's death. She befriends this next-door neighbor uh, who had also just recently lost her husband. So in, in that case, the, the, the cover of the book looked very lighthearted, but the content of the book was actually uh, quite deeper and more profound than I think the cover suggested. And I, I just don't want covers to be detrimental or tell a different story than the, the book itself. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that's just the way it is. Uh, I know. <laughs> you know, and it brings to mind that we uh, got a book not very long ago, and it was a uh, it was a business book. But the unfortunate part was the cover didn't even reflect anything with business. It was this beautiful sunset, and it was very confusing. But anyway, moving on. Uh, I still think it's important to have covers, though, that do reflect something that's in, in the book itself. So, But I want to give each one of you an opportunity to give some wisdom from your experience in working with authors. What, you know, an author comes in or just something off the top of your mind that you would like to say to the author. And I want to give each one of you the opportunity to do that. Rhonda? Okay. Um, I guess I, I'm just thinking about the school situations. I know that they the schools really like to have authors come in, um, but since it's you know a school situation and stuff like that, sometimes it's kind of hard to get because they they will require um, you know compensation. Of course, um, it's. I, I guess I would just like to encourage authors to come, you know, to, to consider coming to the schools, especially um, the younger ones, um, the elementary and, and middle school, but also the high school. It seems like more of the elementary and 
and middle school libraries get authors to come in. I know that for us at the high school, we've we've only had one or two authors that have have come. You know, I don't know how how you can connect um, authors and and schools, but you know, to get kids excited about reading and to find out um, that these people are real. You know, the experience that one of the experiences we had with an author. Um, after her presentation, girls were coming up to her and, you know, just sharing, you know, your experience was so much like mine. And, you know, they were really connecting. And these were girls that weren't um, big readers, you know. And it really, I think it had a profound impact on them to to hear her story and, and, um, and realize that, you know, where she was at, you know, they had just as much opportunity to get where she was at. Um, in her her life too, so um, I don't I don't know if that's wisdom or not, but I you know I just I really like to watch um, interaction between authors and, and students. I think any way that that can be encouraged is great. Christy, uh, I think I would agree with Rhonda. Uh, I think any interaction with authors or illustrators with kids is great because that way they do get to see that that's something viable that they can do. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if this is wisdom either, but I, as much as we appreciate authors coming in, um, I want them to also know that we really do appreciate them, even though if we may not be able to show them their, our appreciation monetarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, that would be the main thing that I would say. Great. Well, gosh, I appreciate both of you. Rhonda and Christy coming on, I, I, you know, we could go on for a long time, but I think we uh, need to cut this now. And uh, I really, really appreciate the words of wisdom that you did because you were now because you were talking directly to the authors too. And uh, there you go, listeners. Rhonda and Christy are from the West Bank Community Library and Laura's Library here in Austin, Texas, and Rhonda also works at the Round Rock High School in Austin, Texas as well. So thank you both for coming on, giving us all your tips and wisdom and information. I know that uh, our listening audience is really going to be appreciated. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Book Writing, Publicity, and Promotion, with special guest Dan Pointer. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to Info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying goodnight. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.